Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah. I just happened to be reading it uh, and got very inspired about this sermon uh, tonight. I just happened to be reading it in my devotional Bible reading. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to familiarize you with the book if you're not familiar with it tonight and give you some interesting um, pieces of history that will put in context uh, what this means to us here today. I read something quite amazing the other day, and it was that there are 400,000 bridges in America that need to be rebuilt, that are actually dangerous. Some of the most beautiful bridges that I've ever seen in America, and some of them really are works of art, are in the northwest along the coast highway. Spectacular arches, beautiful scenery over bays and oceans. Many of those bridges were built in the 19-teens and 1920s and 30s, so they're almost a 100 years old. And they were built with what was at the time the very best materials, high-grade concrete, high-grade steel. But it's been 80 years or 100 years, and the salt uh, uh, water and air, weather, time, moisture, these bridges are deteriorating. They need to be rebuilt. Some of you may remember a few years ago, there was a bridge in Minneapolis that on a normal rush hour afternoon, the bridge collapsed into the river there between uh, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. I can't remember how many, but a number of people were killed because this bridge that was quite old needed to be rebuilt. We remember the images of 9-11 when the Twin Towers were taken down by terrorists. You remember if you were, you know, uh, at least a teenager at that time, the incredible amount of rubble that was there because these 110-story buildings collapsed, created a mountain of rubble. What did they do? They took that rubble... They removed it, they recycled a lot of it, and used it in the construction of the Freedom Tower, which is the building that replaced the Twin Towers. They needed to be rebuilt. The subject that I want to talk to you about tonight is the subject of rebuilding. Emphasis on re. Rebuilding is not building for the first time. There's a difference. Building something for the first time is exciting. It's new. Nothing like it has ever been done before, and there's a lot of enthusiasm. It's not very hard to raise the money for it. But rebuilding, something that has already been built, is quite another matter. For whatever reason, and there are reasons, and I'm not really going to explore that too deeply tonight, but there are reasons why rebuilding needs to happen, and I gave you two already. Normal wear and tear on these bridges, uh, they need to be rebuilt. The Twin Towers, uh, from an attack uh, and an assault and terrorism, uh, they need to be rebuilt. So, there's a variety of reasons why things need to be rebuilt, but... We know that it's part of life. The act of rebuilding is actually quite a radical process. And again, as I said, sometimes it's not very inspiring. It's very inconvenient. If you're rebuilding a bridge 
on a road, it's incredibly inconvenient if you can't use that road for a number of months, or they have to divert traffic or stop traffic and divert it all into one lane. It's annoying. It's inconvenient. It's bothersome. We have already built a bridge here. We have already gone through the multi-year process of building the Twin Towers, and now we've got to do it all over again. Rebuilding is one of the hardest things that you will ever do in your life. But rebuild you must sometimes. And there are a lot of people who can't get inspired about it. And they won't apply themselves to doing what it takes to rebuild. Now, our text is about the rebuilding. The book of Nehemiah, written by Nehemiah, is about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They had been built once. They had then been destroyed by enemies. Now they are heaps of rubble and had been so for well over a hundred years. Nobody was getting inspired to rebuild the walls. Walls are necessary. They were suffering because there were no walls around the city. They were subjugated by enemies. They were harassed uh, uh, by outsiders. They were having all kinds of problems. Uh, but the rubble, the mountains of rock and earth and burned up gates, uh, it was a disaster. And nobody could get inspired about the rebuilding project that was going to be required. Now, all of that serves as an analogy for what can get broken down in your life. A marriage can drift towards disrepair. And a counseling session is not going to turn it around. It needs to be rebuilt. Your relationship with Christ. We know that it can be neglected. And as a result of neglect, all kinds of unintended consequences can transpire in your life. Sometimes your relationship with Christ needs some rebuilding. Perhaps a ministry that has been discarded or ignored. Over the years, the calling that has collapsed over time, and now the challenge is to return to the site of your calling, which will be this altar tonight, and begin the process of rebuilding that calling. So let's read our texts, and I'm going to jump around a little bit in the book. It took me quite a while to uh, narrow down what I want to use for a text. Uh, but I think I've done it somewhat successfully, and I want to preach to you on rebuilding tonight. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It came to pass in the month of Cheslev. In the twentieth year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So the broken-down condition of these walls caused him to weep. And so, too, does the broken-down condition of some areas of our life. Now jump to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. Then the king said to me, What do you request? Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. He came into the king's presence looking sad. The king asked him what was the matter. Nehemiah told him, and then he said, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, 
And if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then chapter 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night to the valley gate, to the serpent well, and to the refuse gate. And I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate, and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so then I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the officers who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told him of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that had spoken to me. And so they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to do this good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence, your grace, your love, and your favor. Help us tonight, O oh God. You know the condition of our lives and our hearts. Though we are not perfect, there needs to be much rebuilding, Father. Help us to know what areas need to be rebuilt. And let that process begin at these altars tonight. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Now, the first thing that you are going to need to do if you're going to rebuild, is you're going to have to assess the damage. Hearing the news is one thing. Nehemiah heard some bad news. He's in Babylon, 800 miles away from Jerusalem. He's curious. Uh, what's happening in Jerusalem? Uh, how are they making? Uh, how are they getting along? What's going on down there? Uh, and so the report was uh, they're in distress. Uh, they are having a lot of trouble. Uh, the walls are broken down. Uh, and so he gets all of this news and this information. Uh, and then, though, uh, he has to decide what he's going to do about it, as you will have to make that decision tonight. Hearing the news is one thing. Recognizing uh, that there's a broken down area of our lives is one thing. Uh, what you're going to do about it is quite another. Now, this is quite a dramatic circumstance that's happening here in the nation of Israel. The captivity of Israel began, remember, under Jeremiah. That was the final slide into captivity. Josiah was the final righteous king. His sons were wicked and unrighteous. And it was then that the nation of Israel was subjugated, but not destroyed and not carried into captivity, at least not yet. And then in 606 B.C., the first of three different Captivities began. It was actually 20 years later that Jerusalem was destroyed, but it began with the defeat of Israel because of the wickedness of the king and the sin of the population. And so they're conquered. The nation and the city is left intact. They have to pay tribute to Babylon. They're subjugated. And at that point in 606 B.C., uh, uh, many of the members of the king's family uh, were taken into captivity. Uh, that is when Daniel uh, and his companions were taken into captivity. Uh, and then another ten years pass. And a second group uh, is taken into captivity in 596 B.C. Uh, this consisted of priests uh, and craftsmen. Uh, and that is when the prophet Ezekiel uh, uh, was taken uh, uh, to Babylon. Uh, and so now we're dealing with an Israel that is weakened, uh, an Israel that is without priesthood, uh, without worship, uh, uh, without any kind of spiritual direction. Uh, and then another ten years pass. Now it's 586 B.C., uh, and the children of Israel get a little bit.
get restless. Uh, they begin to exercise themselves uh, in rebellion against uh, the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and that is when Nebuchadnezzar uh, marched on Jerusalem, uh, laid siege for two and a half years, uh, finally conquered it, uh, destroyed it, uh, dismantled the walls, uh, tore down the temple, uh, stole all the artifacts, what was left uh, uh, in the temple, uh, and the uh, majority uh, of the rest of the inhabitants uh, were hauled off into captivity in 586 B.C., uh, and that began 70 years uh, uh, of uh, captivity uh, of the children of Israel, uh, which was judgment and punishment uh, for their sin and their backsliding uh, and their wickedness. There were three returns back to Jerusalem from Babylon. The first was under Zerubbabel, who got inspired to go back to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the temple. And he did so in 536 B.C. He went back and began the process of rebuilding uh, the temple, uh, but many, many years passed. Uh, no worship had been established. Uh, no priesthood had been established. Uh, they're just there existing. The walls are broken down. The enemy still has dominion. Uh, and then about 458 B.C., uh, uh, Ezra gets inspired uh, to go back uh, and to reestablish worship. Uh, Ezra was a scribe uh, who had knowledge uh, of the priesthood uh, and the Word of God, uh, and they reinstituted the priesthood. They began to worship again, and they began to sacrifice again. And it wasn't then until about 444 B.C. that Nehemiah gets this report about the walls of Jerusalem broken down and the city in distress that he gets a burden to make a return and rebuild these walls. It's utter... Chaos and destruction. They have a temple. They have a priesthood. They have occupants for the city. But because the walls have not been rebuilt and reestablished, uh, they're having all sorts of trouble and problems uh, and difficulty. Uh, and when Nehemiah hears the news, he knows what he's going to have to be dealing with. These walls of Jerusalem were two and a half miles long, they were 40 feet tall, and they were eight feet thick, and they had been virtually flattened. I'm sure there were remains of the walls still in place, but they were useless, virtually flattened. Up until this point, up until Nehemiah, nobody had gotten inspired to put their hands to the task of rebuilding these walls. Nehemiah believed that they could be rebuilt. And all rebuilding requires an act of faith on your part. You might look at your marriage. You might look at a failed ministry. You might look at a diminished relationship with God. You may look at a backslidden condition, perhaps, in your life, and you may feel so hopeless. How can I ever rebuild? How can I ever reconstruct? How can I ever get back to the place that I once was? It can be done. I'm here to tell you that there is no rebuilding job that cannot be completed and finished and accomplished. You are going to have to believe that it can be done. After the initial return in, that I described under Zerubbabel, it was almost 100 more years before Nehemiah shows up. They saw those walls every day of their lives. They were there, the ruins, the rubble, the destruction. Uh, they were bearing consequence uh, as a result of not having walls. Uh, but nobody got inspired. Uh, nobody had faith. Uh, nobody believed that it could be done. Uh, building walls uh, around a city, a new city. Uh, you build a city, you build walls. That's inspiring. Uh, everybody gets excited about that. But these are walls that have been destroyed. Uh, and they're piles of rubble. Uh, and it was a discouraging sight to face uh, and to look at every single day. When it comes to that which needs to be rebuilt in our lives, it's a matter of faith, and it's a matter of hope, and it's a matter of believing that God can take this mess, whatever state it may be in, and God can help me rebuild it. They thought, the children of Israel thought, why bother? 
It's too much. Too difficult. Those walls, the rubble that's remaining from them, are part of our past. They were great while they lasted, but we've moved on. We can't possibly go back and have any hope that we can restore these walls. So if you're going to rebuild something that has been broken down, you're going to have to have faith. Secondly, you're going to have to make, and this may be the hardest part, you're going to have to make an honest assessment. Up until this point, as far as we can ascertain, nobody even did what Nehemiah did, which was wander around the rubble of these broken down walls uh, with the intention uh, of trying to figure out a way uh, and making an assessment uh, of what it would take to rebuild them. Nobody had been willing to survey the damage uh, and be honest about the level of damage and the level of work uh, that was going to be required. In our text, uh, verse 13, I think it's chapter 2, says, uh, And I went out by night through the valley gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates uh, which were burned with fire. So I went up in the night by the valley, and I viewed the wall. Now think about this. Everyone else up until that point had seen the wall, and they saw it as a hopeless enterprise. A wall is necessary, but this one can't be reconstructed, and so we're just going to have to live with it broken down. Nehemiah went in the midst of the rubble with the intention of rebuilding it and making an assessment of what it was going to take. He took a hard look at the state of those walls. And this is sometimes what we don't want to do about our own lives and what we refuse to do. If the walls are going to be rebuilt, Nehemiah needed to get down in the midst of the rubble so he could assess what it was going to take. The first challenge, if you're going to rebuild your marriage, your relationship with God, your your ministry, maybe your financial life. You're going to have to take an honest look at reality. And again, the problem is that a lot of people don't want to face reality. They continue making the same mistakes. Listen, you can ignore. You can... Pretend like a problem doesn't exist like they did with the bridge in Minneapolis. Apparently, there had been some inspections made. Some areas of that bridge had been marked out as weaknesses, but they kept ignoring and kept working, traffic moving back and forth. But eventually, you ignore something long enough. You leave something in disrepair long enough. Eventually, you're going to bear the consequence of that. These broken down walls, they're able to exist and they're able to function for a lot of years, though they're in distress, uh, eventually, uh, uh, very likely, there's going to be a consequence uh, that's going to come uh, as a result of their unwillingness to face reality. And then another verse we didn't read a little further into chapter 2 says, Then I said to them, You see the distress we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste. And its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we no longer be a reproach. To Nehemiah, the condition was unacceptable. To the children of Israel that was living there, they were willing to live with it. Are you willing to live with something in your life that needs to be rebuilt? Sometimes we are. We don't want to put the work into our marriage. We don't want to put the effort into rebuilding a ministry that's been discarded or a relationship with Christ uh, that we have neglected. uh, And so we just leave it. uh, But Nehemiah was in a state of distress uh, over the condition uh, that he discovered and was told about in Jerusalem. Listen, having a broken down wall means something. This situation in Israel, in Jerusalem, actually affected every feature of their life and lifestyle. Having no wall, they're vulnerable to harassment by enemies. They're weak. They're living in fear and distress. They're intimidated. 
There are lots of things they could no longer do because they had no security. This is why the two adversaries that are mentioned throughout the book of Nehemiah, Sanballat and Tobias, when they saw that Nehemiah came back and starts inspiring the people to rebuild the walls, they get all upset because as enemies, the balance of power is in their favor as long as there's no wall. As long as the walls are broken down in your life, that means the enemy has an advantage in your marriage, in your finances. He has an advantage to continue to diminish your ministry and your calling and your efforts to fruitfulness. Think about how something broken down affects you in your life. A broken marriage causes so much anxiety, doesn't it? Finances uh, that have collapsed uh, causes so much distress uh, and worry. Married couples fight more about money and finance uh, than anything else in life. The guilt that sometimes people live with uh, because uh, of their diminished relationship with God or their abandonment of a calling. It affects our lives. Things that are broken down and need to be repaired. Now, secondly, let's talk about rebuilding and dealing with the opposition. Two things have to be faced tonight. The actual task of rebuilding, I'll get to that. The practical things you need to start doing. And then dealing with the opposition that sometimes comes from without, but most of the time comes from within our own hearts. There's opposition right inside of us that opposes you applying yourself to the task of rebuilding. You have to do both. You have to rebuild and you have to push back on the opposition. Nehemiah chapter 4, a little bit deeper into the book. So we built the wall And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. So they had repaired the wall two and a half miles around uh, the city uh, up to half its height. That was quite an accomplishment for them. They weren't finished yet, but they'd gone that far. Up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah... The Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became angry. They see the balance of power. Now that a wall's going up, their, their uh, liberties and their freedom and their power over the children of Israel, uh, there's going to be a shift now. And so they, cons- they became angry and they conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem to create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. And the Bible goes on to describe how they would work with one hand and hold a sword in the other. They had bows and spears and shields and arrows nearby where they were working. So they're having to rebuild. That would be hard enough. But at the same time, they're having to rebuild. There's all this opposition coming against them that threatens to slow the project down or get them to abandon it altogether. You see, rebuilding is an attitude. It's an attitude. It's faith. It's sticking to it. It's keeping your attitude and your vision intact. And if you can manage that, the rest will take care of itself. After the verse that I just read, so they built the wall up to half its height, so they have 20 feet high walls now, at least around part of the city and other part. So they've accomplished something. And then the Bible says that the strength of the laborers is now failing. There is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. So they've accomplished something. But now a wave of discouragement sweeps over them. Because to finish the project, there's still rubble around. It's still a monumental task. The walls aren't yet quite high enough. They haven't hung the gates. This is an incomplete task. They've labored. They've worked. They've sweated. They've gone through all of this, and and they're still in a weakened condition, and then they look at all the rubble that's there, all the debris, and all the hardship that is in front of them, and they begin to feel demoralized. It's 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 an attack against their morale. 
I think one of the greatest challenges of pastoring is helping and guiding people in the rebuilding process. People get so discouraged about the state of their marriage, they don't want to try anymore. They get so discouraged about trying to overcome sin in their life. They fall, and they fail, and they backslide time and time again, and they just lose hope after a while. Like Nehemiah was kind of like a cheerleader. He had to rally the people and come up with an antidote for all of the assaults that were coming against their lives. This is what a lot of pastoring is about. This is what your ministry is about when you're trying to encourage a brother or a sister. Keep building, don't quit, and don't give up. No matter what obstacle you face, whether it's from without or within, there's always a solution and there's always a way out. Nehemiah had a huge task. The biggest problem with the children of Israel was their confession, their negativity, their unbelief. Chapter 12, uh, chapter 4, verse 12 says, uh, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, uh, they told us ten times, uh, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. This was, they're talking about the enemies. No matter what we do, where we go, uh, the enemies are there. They're mocking us. They're coming right up to the wall, uh, and they're making fun of us. They're mocking us. They're threatening us. Uh, and the children of Israel got freaked out with this. Uh, and the Bible says uh, they went to Nehemiah, and ten times they repeat over and over and over again, it's hopeless, it's useless, uh, it's over, we're done for. Everywhere we turn, the enemies are there. And then Nehemiah replies uh, in verse 16 and says, So it was from that time on uh, that half of my servants worked at construction, uh, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, uh, and wore armor. Uh, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves, uh, so that with one hand they worked at construction, uh, and with the other hand they held a weapon. Uh, every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, uh, and the one who sounded the trumpet uh, was beside uh, me, meaning uh, me, Nehemiah. And so here, when he hears their complaints, uh, he assesses the situation, says, okay, here's what we're going to do. It's all a solution. People are always coming along and saying, oh, it's hopeless. Uh, I've tried everything. Uh, there's no way out of this. Uh, it's a mess. She won't. He won't. Uh, uh, I've done this before. Where, well, well, you know, how much more can I do? And so Nehemiah hears uh, they're complaining time and time again. They're demoralized. Uh, their confession is negative. Uh, and so he stops them, uh, essentially says, shut your mouths uh, and listen. Uh, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and so when they armed themselves uh, and continued the work, that freaked out their opposition. Uh, they pulled back. So while you're rebuilding, you've got to deal with the attitudes of your heart. They keep telling you to quit and give up, and it's hopeless, and you're just going to end up where you did before, and it's useless, and why bother trying? Your marriage can never be what it once was. Uh, you can never recapture your calling. Uh, you can never get back to that place of first love uh, that you had with Jesus in your life. Now, let me talk about three things that you must do. Three things that are necessary in the rebuilding process. Number one, you're going to have to recognize your assigned task. The nature of the project determines the task you're assigned to. Now, if you read through the book of Nehemiah, they assign different families and different heads of families to different parts of the walls. Some were building walls. Some were reconstructing gates and then hanging the gates. Everybody had their own job. This is a rebuilding project of a wall around Jerusalem so they can have security, so they can defend themselves, and so that they can prosper. The nature of the project determines the task that you are assigned to. So if it's your marriage that's broken down, if it's your relationship with God, if it's your ministry, if it's your finances, it requires specific areas in certain directions 
to be consistently executed day after day if you're going to rebuild something. Rebuilding is not going to happen because you come and ask me to pray for you. There is work for you to do. You're going to have to labor and work and put one foot in front of another. You're going to have to learn to sow seeds of faith by the words that you speak. You're going to have to learn to discipline yourself in the financial realm if you're having to rebuild finance or whatever it might be. The task is what's going to define what you need to do, and you need to recognize your assigned task. In the book of Revelation, there had been somewhat of a collapse in the Ephesian church, though it was a good church, had good attributes. Jesus said this to them, remember therefore from where you have fallen. There's something very specific about this. This is not a generalization. Jesus is describing the area of their life that needs attention. And he said, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember from where you have fallen and do the first works. In other words, you've left your first love. You've detached from that initial passion and love for Christ, that defines what you need to do. Back on your knees. Back giving your heart to Jesus every day. Back in love with the one who saved you and delivered you and forgave you of your sin. Back to getting rid of your idols that are distracting you from your relationship with Christ. So you have to recognize your assigned task depending on what area of your life is broken. Secondly, you're going to have to recognize your need that leadership offers you. Without leadership, no rebuilding task is possible. You're not going to do this on your own, even if the rebuilding task is something so very personal to you, like a marriage or your relationship with Christ. You can't rebuild on your own. Up until this point, in the history of the children of Israel, no leadership to rebuild these walls. The wall sits there. The wall's needed. Everybody knows they need a wall. They're living in fear. Their lives are being profoundly affected. But it wasn't until Nehemiah showed up, assessed the damage, spoke to the people and inspired them that they could believe that this could actually be done. Without leadership, no rebuilding task is possible. The inspiration to rebuild. You've been leaving your marriage for years, neglected. It's going to take a sermon like this. It's going to take inspirational revelation and truth that's presented by someone other than you, apparently. Your calling has been lying dormant. You, on your own, are not doing anything about it. You've been sliding into financial debt for months and even years without doing anything about it. This is why leadership is so essential and so necessary. Someone under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that can provide the inspiration that we need to rebuild. It didn't take Nehemiah very long. He surveys the damage one night. The next day he gives a speech and the project begins. All they need was a catalyst, and that is what we need sometimes. We'll leave things in a barrel of neglect. We'll leave things in disrepair until somehow, someway, God provides inspiration, and that generally will, come, generally will come through leadership. Every time the people of God flipped out in our text, enemies come along. Personal needs begin to rise up. They become fearful or weary. It was leadership 
that was there to break the stalemate in their lives and to inspire them and to encourage them. And then in chapter 5, the Bible says this is after catastrophe and we want to quit and it's hopeless and how can we ever finish? And everywhere we turn, there's enemies there. And the Bible says after Nehemiah gave another speech, another sermon, the Bible says that all the assembly said, Amen and praise the Lord. And then the people did according to the promise. They just needed to be inspired. They needed to be encouraged. This is the benefit of leadership. This is the ministry that leadership carries. And without it, a lot of our lives are going to fall into disrepair. We need the inspiration and the stirring and the perspective. Many times it comes from leadership. And thirdly, you're going to have to recognize the role that God plays. God is into this business of rebuilding. I thought of the verse in Isaiah 58, verse 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. That's referring, the repairer of the breach is God. That's another name for God himself. He repairs. A breach is an area in a wall that has been broken, and now an enemy can come through. A breach in your life is any area of your life where the enemy has made a breakthrough. The Bible says that God is a repairer of the breach. He rebuilds, and the Bible says he's also the restorer of streets to dwell in. God understands whether it's because of time, neglect, the corrosive effects of the environment, the assaults of life, whatever the reason the rebuilding needs to happen, God understands it needs to happen, and we need to solicit His help, His power. He is committed to the rebuilding project that your life represents right now. And if you're willing, he will join with you in the task. You're not going to do it on your own. He can't do it without your cooperation. Nehemiah 2.20, So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will rise up and build. So, twofold. God will help you. You're going to have to rise up and build. You're going to have to make a determination. When you decide, then God moves and begins to provide you with the help and the strength and the dominion that you need in your life. So let's close by talking about completing the task. I think the worst thing is to leave something in disrepair that needs to be rebuilt. 586. The walls are destroyed. Nehemiah shows up in 444. 100 plus years. It's been left there. It's sad. Considering what this city once was. Magnificent. Beautiful. Strength. Dominion. Temple. People. Walls. Ruled and reigned. And now... It's in disrepair, and nobody's doing anything about it. I think the worst thing is to discover that there's an area of your life that needs to be rebuilt, but you're not willing to do anything about it, which is what was the condition before Nehemiah showed up. They weren't willing to do something about this sad state of affairs. The condition has to become intolerable to you before you'll do something about it. To the children of Israel, it was tolerable. Even though they were suffering, even though it was costing them, even though their lives were profoundly affected, the broken down wall became tolerable. It just became the way things were. We've grown apart. We're not the same as we were when we first married. I'm not as excited about Jesus as I was. It's just the way it is. Broken down. It was Nehemiah who heard the news, and the condition to him was unacceptable. 
To him it was intolerable, and that's what needs to happen to us tonight. And that was the seed that began the whole process. Nehemiah's fine. He's got a great job. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians themselves were conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And then Nehemiah, at some point, is born while in captivity, grows up and has this great job as the king's cupbearer. He's a friend of the king, an advisor to the king. He's fine with his life until he hears the walls are broken and the people are in distress. Verse 3, the survivors who are left from the captivity are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, gates burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. Nobody else was weeping about the state of things in Jerusalem, but he was. And mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And until you weep over the broken down condition, you don't do anything about it. It's tolerable. It's the way things are. This altar tonight is a place for some tears. It's a place to come to an epiphany about the reality. This is reality. I have to rebuild things in my life. Everybody does. This is not just a, a result of spiritual bankruptcy. You build a bridge. Eventually, it's not going to last forever. Eventually, it's going to have to be rebuilt. The problem is that many don't weep over the distress and the disrepair. Whatever the situation in your life may be tonight, you can see the task of rebuilding through to a wonderful completion, as the children of Israel did with these walls. Fifty-two days it took them to get the walls back up to 40 feet high. The process of assessing, building, fighting off opposition, and completing the task. That's what's in front of us right now. And this actually became a powerful testimony that carried weight throughout the land of Israel, even with their enemies. Listen to what it says after the wall is built. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard about it. And all the nations around us saw these things. They were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by God. Are you ready tonight to apply yourself to some rebuilding your life? The glory goes to God. He's going to help us. He's going to sustain us. He's going to help us see this through to completion. But you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to make an assessment. And you're going to have to be honest about what areas of my life, your life, need to be rebuilt. And if we can do that, God can help us. I want you to bow your heads with me tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody moving around. This was an unusual sermon to put together because the idea of it just began this morning in my Bible reading. Usually I'm working on whatever I'm going to preach for a number of days, sometimes a week or two even. But this kind of exploded across my mind this morning in prayer. And then I was reading the first four chapters of Nehemiah in my devotional Bible reading. And I just kept hearing the word in my minds, in my heart, rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. This is a constant dimension in the church. The church is a big construction zone. Dust. Noise, spiritual jackhammers, removing debris, cutting torches, hammers, all kinds of noise. Because our lives are in the process of building and sometimes then rebuilding. And as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, we're going to make an altar in a moment. 
And I feel the presence of God here encouraging you. Your condition is not over. It's not hopeless. It isn't. There's no project of disrepair in your life that God cannot help you undertake and see through to completion. I know it looks hopeless. I know it looks like your family can never come together. I know it looks like love can never prevail again. I know it looks like, man, I just don't feel called or calling any longer. I don't know what to do with myself. Anything that was once there can be rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem are a testimony to that. Perhaps you're here tonight. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. You have not been born again. You're not right with God. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe, you know, this sermon describes your whole life. Up until this point, sin has ruled and left you like these walls. Rubble. Piled up, what hope is there? Well, when you give your life to Christ, repent of your sin, receive Him as your Savior, the building process begins. You're building a relationship with Christ. You're building a future. You have a calling and a purpose that God has ordained for you. Your marriage may be in disrepair. God can begin the work of rebuilding your marriage. There's no limit to what God can do. And perhaps you're here. You're not a Christian. You have not been born again, but you really want to be. I want to pray for you tonight. I want to believe God to work a miracle in your life. And God can begin this incredible work of building and rebuilding, making you brand new if you'll simply pray tonight and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're willing to do that, I want to help you pray tonight. And in order to do that, I need to know who you are. And I'd like you to just lift your hand up right now. Lift it up. God bless you. I see that. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Anyone else? Sin will mess you up. Living without Christ, look at the state we end up in. Young people end up suicidal. Cutters, discouraged, demoralized, depressed, sin doesn't satisfy. We lose hope. We lose confidence. Jesus wants to build your life. He wants to help you. I remember the day I got saved. 41 years ago, May 22nd, 1975, 19 years old, gave my life to Christ. Never looked back. Problems, trouble, difficulties I had to overcome, absolutely. But God has done such wonderful things. You can begin that tonight in your life. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you? Lift it right up and join these right now all over this building. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right with God. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you have left the task of rebuilding too long. You became tolerant of a deteriorative state that eventually led to being backslidden. And now, that describes where you're at. Away from God, apart from God, detached from relationship. Will you now see you need to rebuild your relationship with Christ? Because you can now. You can come to this altar. Find a place to pray. Would you lift your hand right now if that describes you? I'm backslidden. I'm away from God, and I want to repent. God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Lift your hand. I want to pray, and I want to repent, and I want to get my heart right with God. All right, if you raise your hand, I want you to look at me. You guys all meant that, didn't you? Amen. Young man, you meant that. I believe you did. You meant that. I want you to come right now. Let us pray with you. Come on. I need five men to come and pray with these right now. God bless you. Just kneel down right here. Someone's going to come and pray with you. Amen. You pray right there, would you? Pray there. Come here. You pray right here. This young man. And over here, uh, Kevin. Amen. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. 
This is going to be a different service. Coming to grips with areas of our lives where there needs to be some rebuilding. Being willing to make an honest assessment and rising up determined to rebuild. That's not an easy thing. Easier to do nothing. Rebuilding has to deal with rubble and opposition. And sometimes we just don't want to be bothered. Why can't we just continue on continuing on? And you can. But eventually bridges collapse. Eventually enemies take advantage of the fact there's no walls. I've mentioned a few things. There could be other areas of life. I had in my mind today marriages that are in disrepair, broken down, and need the husband and the wife to assess and to start doing what's necessary to rebuild. It takes time. I'm going to do it overnight. But be encouraged. You can recapture love and affection and care, communication. A relationship with Christ that is no longer characterized by prayer and obedience and pursuing the will of God. You're diverted and distracted by materialism, pursuits, all kinds of things. And you need to rebuild that relationship. It's in disrepair. Maybe God spoke to you about a ministry and a calling. But you've left by the wayside. Over the process of years, you've ignored, pursued other things, gotten diverted. And now the Holy Spirit is revisiting you to that calling of yours. He hasn't forgotten. You may have. That calling is in disrepair. It's broken down walls. You're going to have to assess and then determine to rebuild. Maybe it's your financial life. A mess. It can be fixed. You're going to have to be honest. So let's all stand. And let's come to this altar tonight. I'm going to leave you to pray on your own. You need to get a hold of God. This is between you and God. God, I want you to help me. Assess my life. Assess all the different areas of my life, my relationships, my marriage, my finances, my calling. Where do I need to focus on rebuilding, Lord? Help me. And maybe you already know the answer to that. You really do. You know what areas are in disrepair. No singing just yet, okay? Just play. No singing. I want everyone praying and talking to God. Just talk to God. God, I see the rubble that my marriage is, my calling is, my relationship that you is. I'm facing it tonight. I'm going to be honest. I've been lying to myself, living in denial. I've been tolerant of things I should not have tolerated. And I want to weep over the condition right now, Lord, and commit myself to the task of rebuilding and re Pairing. Oh, God, I praise you and love you and need you, glorify you and exalt you, O God. Oh, Oh, God, you're worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be glorified. You're worthy to be exalted. Your name is above every name. Thank you so much, oh, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
Oh, God, I praise you, Lord. Open my eyes, Lord God. Help me. Help me to see my life through your eyes. Help me to make an honest assessment. I don't want to pretend that everything's okay when it isn't. I don't want to pretend that everything is acceptable when it's not, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand around the altars, remaining at the altar. Everyone standing, and I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Now, how many of you are absolutely sure, just like Nehemiah was, he knew where the rebuilding needed to take place? He made an honest assessment. He faced the damage. Nobody else was willing to do it at that time. He ignored it. He was there, but out of sight, out of mind. Now, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, how many of you here tonight, you know specifically, an area or areas that you need to apply yourself to rebuilding. I want you to raise your hand. That's all I'm asking you to do. It would be most of us tonight. It would be most everyone here tonight. So what does this mean? It means that you're in for a monumental task ahead of you. This means something. It means how are you going to conduct yourself tomorrow. It means making decisions about the little things. And mark it down. The devil's going to try to oppose your efforts to rebuild your life. He's going to try to demoralize you, discourage you. You've got to keep your attitude straight. One of the best ways to do that is to be in church, hear the word, be encouraged, allow leadership to provide you with the inspiration you need to keep going. Pray this with me. Oh, God in heaven, thank you. For your convicting power. I know that you see my life whole and complete. Totally rebuilt. I want it to be that, Lord. Therefore, I'm going to be honest about the various areas of my life. And I'm willing to identify those areas that need repair, that need rebuilding. And from this day forward. I am going to apply myself to the specific tasks that will result in rebuilding. Rebuilding my marriage, my relationship with God, my calling, my finances, any other area, Lord. I'm applying myself today, and I'm going to see this through to completion. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let's give God praise. Hallelujah. Oh, God, I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you honor, O oh Lord. God, we need breakthrough in our lives, O oh Lord. Hallelujah, strengthen us with your mighty power, O oh God.
above all else tonight, you be encouraged. There's no victory, joy in living in denial. Face the rubble, make a determination, I'm going to rebuild. There's no, no profit in pretending like things are okay when they're not. There is real victory and dominion, God's help and grace. When we're honest about the condition of our lives, amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word tonight. Let's thank the Lord one more time. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We're going to dismiss in prayer. I can't repeat all the announcements. You hopefully remembered what they are. Uh, weekend, this weekend is three-on-three tournament, so keep that in mind. Be in prayer. Outreach for it tomorrow, and a lot of good things ahead. Or, uh, celebrate America. Outreach July 2nd. Be in prayer about all these things. Let's believe God for a great uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to ask if uh, Paul Wonquist would pray and ask the Lord to bless as we dismiss.